Part six of the Praise of Folly. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Anna Simon. The Praise of Folly by Desiderius Erasmus. Translated by John Wilson. Part six. But no man, you'll say, ever sacrificed to folly or built me a temple. And troth, as I said before, I cannot but wonder at the ingratitude. Yet because I am easily to be entreated, I take this also in good part though truly I can scarce request it. For why should I require incense, wafers, a goat, or so, when all men pay me that worship everywhere, which is so much approved, even by our very divines? Unless, perhaps, I should envy Diana that her sacrifices are mingled with human blood. Then do I conceive myself most religiously worshipped when everywhere, as tis generally done, men embrace me in their minds express me in their manners and represent me in their lives which worship of the saints is not so ordinary among christians how many are there that burn candles to the virgin mother and that too at noonday when there is no need of them but how few are there that study to imitate her in pureness of life humility and love of heavenly things which is the true worship and most acceptable to heaven besides why should i desire a temple when the whole world is my temple, and I am deceived, or it is a goodly one. Nor can I want priests, but in a land where there are no men. Nor am I yet so foolish as to require statues or painted images, which do often obstruct my worship, since among the stupid and gross multitude those figures are worshipped for the saints themselves. And so it would fare with me, as it does with them that are turned out of doors by their substitutes, no i have statues enough and as many as there are men every one bearing my lively resemblance in his face how unwilling soever he be to the contrary and therefore there is no reason why i should envy the rest of the gods if in particular places they have their particular worship and that too on set days as phoebus at rhodus at cyprus venus at arcos juno at athens minerva in olympus jupiter at Tarentum, Neptune, and near the Hellespont, Priapus, as long as the world in general performs me every day much better sacrifices. Wherein, notwithstanding, if I shall seem to any one to have spoken more boldly than truly, let us, if you please, look a little into the lives of men, and it will easily appear not only how much they owe to me, but how much they esteem me, even from the highest to the lowest. And yet we will not run over the lives of every one, for that would be too long, but only some few of the great ones, from whence we shall easily conjecture the rest. For to what purpose is it to say anything of the common people, who without dispute are wholly mine? For they abound everywhere with so many several sorts of folly, and are every day so busy in inventing new, that a thousand democrati are too few for so general a laughter, though there were another democritus to laugh at them too. "'Tis almost incredible what sport and pastime they daily make the gods, for though they set aside their sober forenoon hours to dispatch business and receive prayers, yet when they begin to be well whittled with nectar and cannot think of anything that's serious, they get them up into some part of heaven that has better prospect than other, and thence look down upon the actions of man. Nor is there anything that pleases them better. Good, good, what an excellent sight it is! how many several hurly-burlies of fools! For I myself sometimes sit among those poetical gods. 
Here's one desperately in love with a young wench, and the more she slights him, the more outrageously he loves her. Another marries a woman's money, not herself. Another's jealousy keeps more eyes on her than Arcos. Another becomes a mourner, and how foolishly he carries it. Nay, hires others to bear him company to make it more ridiculous. Another weeps over his mother-in-law's grave. Another spends all he can, rep and run on his belly, to be the more hungry after it. Another thinks there is no happiness but in sleep and idleness. Another turmoils himself about other men's business and neglects his own. Another thinks himself rich in taking up monies and changing securities, as we say borrowing of Peter to pay Paul, and in a short time becomes bankrupt. Another starves himself to enrich his heir. Another, for a small and uncertain gain, exposes his life to the casualties of seas and winds, which yet no money can restore. Another had rather get riches by war than leave peaceably at home. And some there are that think them easiest attained by courting old, childless men with presents, and others again, by making rich old women believe they love them, both which afford the gods most excellent pastime to see them cheated by those persons they thought to have overcaught. But the most foolish and basest of all others are our merchants, to wit such as venture on everything be it never so dishonest, and manage it no better. Who though they lie by no allowance, swear and forswear, steal, cousin and cheat, yet shuffle themselves into the first rank, and all because they have gold rings on their fingers. Nor are they without their flattering friars that admire them and give them openly the title of honourable, in hopes, no doubt, to get some small snip of it themselves. There are also a kind of Pythagoreans, with whom all things are so common, that if they get anything under their cloaks, they make no more scruple of carrying it away, than if it were their own by inheritance. There are others, too, that are only rich in conceit, and while they fancy to themselves pleasant dreams, conceive that enough to make them happy. Some desire to be accounted wealthy abroad, and are yet ready to starve at home. One makes what haste he can to set all going, and another rakes it together by right or wrong. This man is ever labouring for public honours, and another lies sleeping in a chimney-corner. A great many undertake endless suits, and outvie one another who shall most enrich the dilatory judge or corrupt advocate. One is all for innovations, and another for some great he knows not what. Another leaves his wife and children at home and goes to Jerusalem, Rome, or in pilgrimage to St. James's, where he has no business. In short, if a man like Menippus of old could look down from the moon and behold those innumerable rufflings of mankind, he would think he saw a swarm of flies and gnats quarrelling among themselves, fighting, laying traps for one another, snatching, playing, wantoning, growing up, falling and dying. Nor is it to be believed what stir, what broils, this little creature raises, and yet in how short a time it comes to nothing itself. While sometimes war, other times pestilence, sweeps off many thousands of them together. But let me be most foolish myself, and one whom Democritus may not only laugh at, but flout, if I go one foot further in the discovery of the follies and madnesses of the common people. I'll betake me to them that carry the reputation of wise men, and hunt after that golden bough, as says the proverb. 
among whom the grammarians hold the first place, a generation of men than whom nothing would be more miserable, nothing more perplexed, nothing more hated of the gods, did not I allay the troubles of that pitiful profession with a certain kind of pleasant madness. For they are not only subject to those five curses with which Homer begins his Iliads, as says the Greek epigram, but six hundred, as being ever hunger-starved and slovens in their schools. Schools, did I say? Nay, rather cloisters, bridewells, or slaughterhouses. Grown old among a company of boys, deaf with their noise, and pined away with stench and nastiness. And yet, by my curtsy it is, that they think themselves the most excellent of all men. So greatly do they please themselves in frighting a company of fearful boys with a thundering voice and big looks, tormenting them with ferules, rods, and whips, and laying about them without fear or wit, imitate the ass in a lion's skin. In the meantime, all that nastiness seems absolute spruceness, that stench a perfume, and that miserable slavery a kingdom, and such, too, as they would not change their tyranny for Phalaris or Dionysius' empire. Nor are they less happy in that new opinion they have taken up of being learned, for whereas most of them beat into boys' heads nothing but foolish toys, yet, you good gods, what Palemon, what Donatus, do they not scorn in comparison of themselves? And so, I know not by what tricks, they bring it about that to their boys' foolish mothers and dolt-headed fathers they pass for such as they fancy themselves. Add to this that other pleasure of theirs, that if any of them happen to find out who was Anchis's mother, or pick out of some worm-eaten manuscript a word not commonly known, as suppose it Bubsequa for a cowherd, Bovinator for a wrangler, Manticulator for a cut-purse, or dig up the ruins of some ancient monument with the letters half eaten out. Oh, Jupiter, what towerings, what triumphs, what commendations, as if they had conquered Africa or taken in Babylon. But what of this, when they give up and down their foolish insipid verses, and there want not others that admire them as much? They believe presently that Virgil's soul is transmigrated into them, but nothing like this, when with mutual compliments they praise, admire, and claw one another. Whereas if another do but slip a word, and one more quick-sighted than the rest discover it by accident, oh, Hercules, what uproars, what bickerings, what taunts, what invectives! If I lie, let me have the ill-will of all the grammarians. I knew in my time one of many arts, a Grecian, a Latinist, a mathematician, a philosopher, a physician, a man, master of them all, and sixty years of age, who, laying by all the rest, perplexed and tormented himself for above twenty years in the study of grammar, fully reckoning himself a prince if he might but live so long till he could certainly determine how the eight parts of speech were to be distinguished, which none of the Greeks or Latins had yet fully cleared, as if it were a matter to be decided by the sword if a man made an adverb of a conjunction and for this cause is it that we have as many grammars as grammarians. Nay, more, for as much as my friend Aldous has given us above five, not passing by any kind of grammar, how barbarously or tediously soever compiled, which he has not turned over and examined, envying every man's attempts in this kind, how to be pitied than happy, as persons that are ever tormenting themselves, adding, changing, putting in, blotting out, 
revising, reprinting, showing it to friends, and nine years in correcting, yet never fully satisfied. At so great a rate do they purchase this vain reward, to wit, praise, and that too of a very few, with so many watchings, so much sweat, so much vexation, and loss of sleep, the most precious of all things. Add to this the waste of health, spoil of complexion, weakness of eyes, or rather blindness, poverty, envy, abstinence from pleasure, over-hasty old age, untimely death, and the like. So highly does this wise man value the approbation of one or two blare-eyed fellows. But how much happier is this my writer's dotage, who never studies for anything, but puts in writing whatever he pleases, or what comes first in his head, though it be but his dreams, and all this with small waste of paper, as well knowing that the vainer those trifles are, the higher esteem they will have with the greater number, that is to say, all the fools and unlearned. And what matter is it to slight those few learned, if yet they ever read them? Or of what authority will the censure of so few wise men be against so great a cloud of gainsayers? But they are the wiser that put out other men's works for their own, and transfer that glory which others with great pains have obtained to themselves, relying on this that they conceive, though it should so happen that their theft be never so plainly detected, that yet they should enjoy the pleasure of it for the present. And it is worth once while to consider how they please themselves when they are applauded by the common people, pointed at in a crowd. "'Tis that excellent person! Lie on booksellers' stalls, and in the top of every page have three hard words read, but chiefly exotic and next degree to conjuring. Which, by the immortal gods, what are they but mere words? And again, if you consider the world, by how few understood, and praised by fewer, for even among the unlearned there are different palates. Or what is it that their own very names are often counterfeit or borrowed from some books of the ancients? When one styles himself Telemachus, another Stenelus, a third Laertes, a fourth Polycrates, a fifth Thrasymachus. So that there is no difference whether they title their books with the tale of a tub, or, according to the philosophers, by Alpha Beta. But the most pleasant of all is to see them praise one another with reciprocal epistles, verses, and encomiums, fools their fellow fools, and dunces their brother dunces. This, in the other's opinion, is an absolute Alcaeus, and the other, in his, a very Callimachus. He looks upon Tully as nothing to the other, and the other again pronounces him more learned than Plato. And sometimes, too, they pick out their antagonist and think to raise themselves a fame by writing one against the other, while the giddy multitude are so long divided to whether of the two they shall determine the victory, till each goes off conqueror, and, as if he had done some great action, fancies himself a triumph. And now wise men laugh at these things as foolish, as indeed they are. Who denies it? Yet, in the meantime, such is my kindness to them, they live a merry life, and would not change their imaginary triumphs, no, not with the Scipios. While yet those learned men, though they laugh their fill, and reap the benefit of the other's folly, cannot without ingratitude deny, but that even they, too, are not a little beholding to me themselves. And among them our advocates challenge the first place, 
nor is there any sort of people that please themselves like them. For while they daily roll Sisyphus his stone, and quote you a thousand cases, as it were, in a breath, no matter how little to the purpose, and heap glosses upon glosses, and opinions on the neck of opinions, they bring it at last to this pass, that that study of all others seems the most difficult. Add to these our logicians and sophists, a generation of men more prattling than an echo, and the worst of them able to outchat a hundred of the best-picked gossips. And yet their condition would be much better were they only full of words, and not so given to scolding that they most obstinately hack and hew one another about a matter of nothing, and make such a sputter about terms and words till they have quite lost the sense. And yet they are so happy in the good opinion of themselves that as soon as they are furnished with two or three syllogisms, they dare boldly enter the lists against any man upon any point, as not doubting but to run him down with noise, though the opponent were another stentor. And next to these come our philosophers, so much reverenced for their furred gowns and starched beards, that they look upon themselves as the only wise man and all others as shadows. And yet how pleasantly do they dote while they frame in their heads innumerable worlds, measure out the sun, the moon, the stars, nay, and even heaven itself, as it were, with a pair of compasses, lay down the causes of lightning, winds, eclipses, and other the like inexplicable matters, and all this too without the least doubting, as if they were nature's secretaries, or dropped down among us from the council of the gods, while in the meantime nature laughs at them and all their blind conjectures. For that they know nothing, even this is a sufficient argument, that they don't agree among themselves, and so are incomprehensible touching every particular. These, though they have not the least degree of knowledge, profess yet that they have mastered all. Nay, though they neither know themselves nor perceive a ditch or block that lies in their way, for that perhaps most of them are half-blind, or their wits a wool-gathering, yet give out that they have discovered ideas, universalities, separated forms, first matters, quiddities, hexeities, formalities, and the like stuff, things so thin and bodiless that I believe even Lincius himself was not able to perceive them. But then chiefly do they disdain the unhallowed crowd as often as with their triangles, quadrangles, circles, and the like mathematical devices, more confounded than a labyrinth, and letters disposed one against the other, as it were in a battle array, they cast a mist before the eyes of the ignorant. Nor is there wanting of this kind some that pretend to foretell things by the stars, and make promises of miracles beyond all things of soothsaying, and are so fortunate as to meet with people that believe them. But perhaps I had better pass over our divines in silence, and not stir this pool, or touch this fair but unsavoury plant, as a kind of men that are supercilious beyond comparison, and to that too implacable, lest setting them about my ears they attack me by troops, and force me to a recantation sermon, which, if I refuse, they straight pronounce me a heretic. For this is the thunderbolt with which they fright those whom they are resolved not to favour. And truly, though there are few others that less willingly acknowledge the kindnesses I have done them, yet even these too stand fast bound to me upon no ordinary accounts. While being happy in their own opinion, and as if they dwelt in the third heaven, they look with heartiness on all others as poor creeping things, and could almost find in their hearts to pity them. 
while hedged in with so many magisterial definitions, conclusions, corollaries, propositions explicit and implicit. They abound with so many starting holes that Vulcan's net cannot hold them so fast, but they'll slip through with their distinctions, with which they so easily cut all knots asunder that a hatchet could not have done it better. So plentiful are they in their new-found words and prodigious terms. Besides, while they explicate the most hidden mysteries according to their own fancy, as how the world was first made, how original sin is derived to posterity, in what manner, how much room, and how long time Christ lay in the virgin's womb, how accidents subsist in the Eucharist without their subject. But these are common and threadbare. These are worthy of our great and illuminated divines, as the world calls them. At these, if ever they fall athwart them, they prick up, as whether there was any instant of time in the generation of the second person, whether there be more than one filiation in Christ, whether it be a possible proposition that God the Father hates the Son, or whether it was possible that Christ could have taken upon him the likeness of a woman, or of the devil, or of an ass, or of a stone, or of a gourd, and then how that gourd should have preached, wrought miracles, or been hung on the cross, and what Peter had consecrated if he had administered the sacrament at what time the body of Christ hung upon the cross, or whether at the same time he might be said to be man, whether after the resurrection there will be any eating and drinking, since we are so much afraid of hunger and thirst in this world. There are infinite of these subtle trifles, and others more subtle than these, of notions, relations, instants, formalities, quiddities, hexieties, which no one can perceive without a lynch's whose eyes could look through a stone wall and discover those things through the thickest darkness that never were. Add to this those their other determinations, and those too so contrary to common opinion that those oracles of the Stoics, which they call paradoxes, seem in comparison of these but blockish and idle, as it is a lesser crime to kill a thousand men than to set a stitch on a poor man's shoe on the Sabbath day, and that a man should rather choose that the whole world with all food and raiment, as they say, should perish, than tell a lie, though never so inconsiderable. And these most subtle subtleties are rendered yet more subtle by the several methods of so many schoolmen, that one might sooner wind himself out of a labyrinth than the entanglements of the realists, nominalists, Thomists, Albertists, Occamists, Scotists. Nor have I named all the several sects, but only some of the chief, in all which there is so much doctrine and so much difficulty that I may well conceive the apostles, had they been to deal with these new kind of divines, had needed to have prayed in aid of some other spirit. End of Part 6